Welcome to episode 94 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we will be covering true crime and paranormal stories from the state of Ohio. And like we do every week, we start with a beverage from the paranormal storyteller, which is mom this week. It is me. (laughs) It is me. What are we drinking? Uh, You know how we always Google things. On the Google on the Google as to what is the most popular drink, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I actually came across a site that said that vodka is a very top spirit in <laughs> top spirit oh boy. <laughs> in Ohio oh boy. <laughs> and especially Tito's vodka. So I thought, well, I guess I will make a vodka drink. So we are drinking a vodka tonic, but I lit. Oh, oh, I made a little twist to it, of course. So we're. Because you made it. And and you probably (laughs) won't like this as much as me. Sorry, but I like it. Okay. It's Tito's vodka. I like Mm -hmm. what? I don't know. One and a half jiggers, if not two (laughs) ounces. You know me, I'm kind of heavy. One and a half I'm, ounces. I'm kind of heavy with the uh, spirits. Anyway, and then I always use Fever Tree Tonic. Um, mm-hmm. I just love that tonic and it comes in a variety of flavors. And the one I have is the one that's less calories. I always watching those calories. because. But it's tonic. Is there a lot of calories in tonic um, in general? Not a lot, but there are. It's a soda. So, but it doesn't have a lot of sugar. I don't know. Not a lot, but it does have some. So anyway, this has even less. Oh, okay. Then what makes this different is instead of squeezing lime into it, I squeeze grapefruit into it. Oh. And then I took some rosemary, fresh rosemary. Oh, oh. She got got fancy. (laughs) I took the rosemary and I put it around the rim. So it like the oils of the rosemary were around the rim. And then I put the sprig of rosemary in the drink. How am I supposed to do this for TikTok? (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Oh, you got really fancy this week. I know. (laughs) I didn't even find the recipe. I went to a friend's house and this guy from Canada, he was making drinks there and he made this drink and I thought oh my gosh my new favorite drink so what is the name of this cocktail (laughs) okay let's name it we're gonna name it the Ohio cocktail (laughs) now there's already an Ohio cocktail believe it or not so why didn't you make that (laughs) it's way too much it was way too intense So we're going to name this the Ohio 2 cocktail. And then people are going to say, well, why is this named the Ohio cocktail? Just like we asked, why is it called the Nebraskan Bulldog? So maybe we should call it the Ohio in St. Bernard. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) But why is it called the Nebraska Bulldog? You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. I know what you're you're trying to say, but. Is it getting across at all? Okay. <laughs> Let's just move on to drinking the drink. Let's okay. see how I like this thing. All Cheers, right. Mom. Cheers. Ooh. 
Okay. I know you don't really like grapefruit, but no, I think there's a lot more than just grapefruit going on. I mean, well, I like rosemary, right? And the um, the oils around the lip of the glass kind of gives it a sort of savory mm-hmm. aspect, along with the sweet grapefruit, you know, vodka thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I know it's not your favorite, but I really like it. Uh, I mean, it's not terrible. Like I'm going to drink this. <laughs> It's refreshing, though. No, I I like the freshness of it, and I'm happy. Like I said, I like to try things. I like to try new things. So this is yummy. This is good. Yes, I I mean I made it with vodka, but you can of course make this a gin tonic. Also, well, I'm happy you didn't do that. I'm not a. I'm really not a fan of gin. <laughs> I Except know. I had a hot toddy the other day when we were out and about, and it was made with gin. And surprisingly, I really liked it. But it was made with all these like natural agave like syrups and stuff in the hot oh. toddy. So I don't know, but it was pretty tasty. Maybe I should give gin another shot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get it. Oh, my gosh. You should have seen her face. It was blank. Blank, I, I like, tell why you. Is she, why is she <laughs> laughing at me? All right. I get it now. Okay. Who is ready for another mystery? I am. I am. I am. Okay. This case is really, it's it's always intrigued me. And I'm really interested to see what your thoughts are. All right. We're jumping right in here. And I'm going to be covering the missing persons case of Brian Schaefer. Okay. Again. Another missing person. This is like my third in a row. I know. I know. <laughs> wow. I think we've been doing a lot of missing persons lately. I have. <laughs> well, I did Tara. Yeah, that's true. And then, of course, the Benders. They're missing. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> We're on a roll, man. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So with this story, again, is a lot of theories, but no, like, concrete evidence of those theories. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. Grab your flashlights because we may be going down some dark tunnels, chasing some rabbits down some holes. <laughs> that was a bad joke. That was just bad. I should probably cut that out. You just crack yourself up. Ugh. All right. Brian Randall Schaefer. He was born February 11th, 1979 to Randy and Renee. Randy was an electrician and Renee was a nurse. He grew up in the Baltimore, Ohio area with his mom, dad, and younger brother, Derek. Brian was very close to his mother. He had a good relationship with his dad, but he was very close to his mother. Some resources stated that he didn't have the greatest relationship with his dad, um, but we'll, we'll kind of go into that a little more. He had a nice childhood. He grew up well. He played tennis in high school. He did well in school, especially the sciences. And actually, Brian really loved music. And even later on, he talked about how he wanted to be in a band. He did play guitar for a band in high school, some kind of a rock kind of a band he played in high school. And his tennis coach actually asked him to cut his hair or quit because they had a tournament coming up. Okay. Even though he was the captain of the tennis he quit. team. 
and they were two games away from the state tournament, he quit. Because he didn't want to cut his hair. Yeah. Wow. That's dedication to his rock band, I guess. He loved Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and he actually uh, got a Pearl Jam stick figure tattooed on his upper arm eventually. So he graduates high school. He works a part-time job at JCPenney's, and he starts college that following fall at Ohio University, the Lancaster branch for business and a minor in computer sciences. He does this for a year and ends up then taking a little break from college. But like I said, he has this really strong relationship with his mom. And I feel like she knew how smart her son was. And I think she might have nudged him in the direction of going back to school. Okay. So in the fall of 1999, he goes back to school, this time at The Ohio State University, his goal to be a doctor. Oh, wow. His mom mom was a nurse. And from a lot of the resources I read, she was actually paying for his school for him. Okay. Maybe not all of it, but. A majority uh, of it. Mm -hmm, I think so. So he graduates in 2003 with a major in microbiology and a minor in molecular genetics. Oh, my gosh. He did it. Yeah. He worked for a while as a radiology tech assistant before starting as a student at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Wow. This whole time he's studying this microbiology and molecular genetics stuff all this doctor stuff, he's still really into music. And honestly, he seemed, I don't know, from my research, like he had a MySpace, like a lot of us all did in the early 2000s. I was reading like some of the descriptions and stuff that was on his MySpace. He was he was really funny. He seemed very sarcastic uh-huh. in the described himself section, like where he described himself mm-hmm. on MySpace. It said, quote, I'm a second year medical student at Ohio State University. Only two years to go. I have an awesome and amazing girlfriend. She's super hot and lots of fun. <laughs> I, re- I really love music. And this whole doctor thing is really just a job, only temporary, until I get my band together and put out a record. I want to own an island someday or at least a beach so I can listen to Buffett all day and drink margaritas with my senorita. <laughs> oh, that's he just great. sounds silly. That's and, great. you know, he's going to school to be a doctor. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should just but do it temporarily. But it's just temporary. He really just wants to be Buffett sing and drink margaritas <laughs> sounds like he'd be really good friends with tom <laughs> yeah the summer before starting his second year of med school uh was really fun for brian he went to puerto rico with friends for a while and he also started dating his his quote awesome and amazing girlfriend he mentioned in his bio area so is this another girlfriend from his hot no. girlfriend same girlfriend okay yeah he starts dating that awesome and amazing girlfriend his hot girlfriend he had started dating her that summer before he started his second year of med school Uh, her name was alexis wagner but then right before school starts brian gets some bad news his mom is diagnosed with the yucky crap cancer oh no and it's a pretty bad diagnosis and is declared terminal oh no that christmas was really hard for brian and his brother and his father 
uh, Renee, his mom, her health was really declining and deteriorating. And like I mentioned, he was very close with her. Mm-hmm. So according to the Brian Schaefer Dead or Alive podcast, Renee really liked Alexis. And even though the couple had only just started dating a few months prior, I guess she saw potential, like a potential marriage, like a potential future there. Right. I don't know. I think, and this is this is my opinion, but I feel like if the two were super close and she was unfor- unfortunately terminal, you know, she only wants to see the best for her son. She wants to course. rest easy knowing that, you know, yeah, his future and as a doctor is set, but that he's going to have somebody that loves him as well. He's not going to be alone, right? Yeah. So I think, again, this is just my opinion, but I think, you know, maybe she not pushed that on him. I don't want to say that, but you know what I mean? Like, because I guess she talked to one of her doctors about where he could get a ring to propose to Alexis. Oh my. And, but if you talk to Alexis's dad, he said like, no, they were, they had just started dating. Like they weren't there yet. Right. So I don't, I don't know. That's just kind of what I read, but she did purchase a spring break trip for the couple to go to Miami that coming April and rumor had it that that was where he was going to propose on that trip oh holy smokes okay but again I don't know if that was necessarily true because like a ring was never purchased like gotcha yeah I don't know if like she said hey I'm gonna buy you know I got you this trip for Christmas it's for your spring break maybe people have jumped to that assumption I I don't know because there's no proof. There's no proof of that. So after Christmas break, Brian goes back to school with Alexis. She's in med school as well. And they go back to school and they throw themselves at the books. On March 6th, 2006, Renee passes away. Oh, Uh, Brian took this really hard. His grief was overwhelming. On his MySpace, he had listed his mom as his hero and stated, quote, my mom was the greatest, most wonderful person in the world, unquote. He was so grief stricken, arriving over an hour late to his mother's funeral. Oh, geez. He was just in a really dark place, but he attended the funeral and then he went back to school to start studying because finals were coming up. Mm. Now, some odd things or maybe not so odd. We always look at these things now as odd, but. You know, he's really going through a lot of grief with his mother's death. Right. Yeah. Read into it as you will. I mean, and on top of the fact that he just lost his mom, but now he has the stress of finals and finals are in medical school. Yeah. I mean, finals are stressful as as it is. But on in medical school, like I can't even imagine. But a short time after his mother's death, he apparently asked Alexis to run away with him. Oh, and I and I, you know, he did this jokingly, but he did it a couple times. He had shared with her his struggle with his mom's loss. And like I mentioned, the doctor thing was just a job to him. Maybe he was really just doing it to for her even. I don't and maybe he had realized that with her death. I, I don't know. But then he turns around a week or so later and he tells Alexis to move on and that she'd be happier with somebody else. Oh, no. So he just kind of goes, you know, flip flops. And oh, that following week, 
after that comment is finals week. I do not miss that aspect of college at all. (laughs) This brings us to the day and the evening of when Brian goes missing. It is March 31st, Friday, and Brian has the last of his finals. And just a reminder, they were going on their spring break trip, he and Alexis, on Monday. Oh. Coming Monday. Oh, geez. Okay. And they're still going together. Yeah, they're still planning on going on their trip on Monday. So gotcha. it's the okay. Friday before that Monday, and he had just finished with his finals. And the plan is that Friday is to do his finals, and then he was actually going to go to dinner with his dad, and then he was going to go bar hopping with his friend Clint. And actually some resources say it was a group of friends that were going to go bar hopping. Okay. Um, so a little side story about Clint, but he and Brian were – freshman roommates I believe now there are a few stories of the two getting into arguments and I guess Brian's brother Derek Mm -hmm. wasn't always a big fan of Clint and but Clint seemed to be one of Brian's closest friends in college or at least a good drinking buddy because the two went out and partook in the beverages a lot together in college okay okay So that weekend, like I said, it's finals. It's over on Friday. And Alexis actually went back home to Toledo for uh, for the weekend before their trip out to Miami that Monday. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So Friday, he goes to dinner with his dad, Randy, at Outback Steakhouse. Mm. (laughs) I love their blooming onions. I was going to (laughs) say. So, okay. So this is something I actually just recently before we started recording read on the Facebook group for the podcast Brian Schaefer Dead or Alive. Mm -hmm. Okay so apparently Renee left money yeah uh, like a life insurance policy Uh and I guess either weeks prior Randy had told Derek his brother yes Either that, you know, he wasn't happy with the amount she left the boys or he didn't agree with it, but that he was actually going to be claiming some of that money back. Oh, my gosh. So I we don't know the logistics of the conversation that Brian had with Randy the night at Outback Steakhouse. But I'm assuming it was a similar conversation. Again, I I don't really know how close the two were, Randy and Brian. Mm-hmm. My resources don't really have them being very close at all. Okay. But I get, we don't know what they talked about. They could have easily just talked about their finals and... Football. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tennis. Who knows? Yeah. But a lot of people seem to believe that they did discuss the life insurance policy at dinner and it wasn't the best conversation. And you have to think, too, like... Renee was paying for Brian's college. So now mm-hmm. he has that on his plate. And now his dad's going to be taking. And I don't think it was a lot of money. He apparently told Derek, you're going to you can keep a thousand dollars, but I'm going to take the rest of it. Oh, my and I gosh. Think it was, and I think it was only like five thousand dollars total to each boy. How can a parent do that? Oh. And I don't. I can't judge because we don't know the whole story. But but I think it was like 50% went to Randy and then the other 50% was to be split up between the sons. Okay. And I guess Randy didn't agree with that. So, well, yeah. And that's just literally I just read that on this podcast's Facebook. Oh. So 
I thought that was really interesting. According to police records also, his mother's life insurance was discussed at the dinner. Now, did this conversation add more stress already on Brian's plate like we just discussed? I don't know. Right. Brian leaves dinner and he goes home and he meets up with his friend Clint. Mm -hmm. And he does call his brother Derek and asks him to come out to the bars and bar hop with him that night. But Derek is out with his girlfriend to like a comedy club or something like that. Okay. And he said like maybe we'll meet up with you later, but they don't end up meeting up that night okay okay so brian and clint are together and the two walk from brian's apartment to a bar called the ugly tuna saluna it's a (laughs) college bar all the bars are packed that night because of finals finals being over Mm -hmm. yeah and this place i guess is like cheaper drinks it was really popular for the students so it was packed they get to the bar around 9 30 And from the ugly tuna saluna, Brian and Clint then start bar hopping for a while. According to phone records, Brian gets a call from Alexis at 956. She states it was a normal, you know, hey, I miss you. We're going out or bar hopping tonight kind of a call. Mm -hmm. Well, he's only been out for not even a half hour because they. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, according to the Brian Schaefer Dead or Alive podcast, the host, Kelly Bruce, said that Brian actually made other calls that night, actually several, all with a group of about five friends, medical school friends. They all apparently met out and they were drinking that night. Now, I found that really interesting because a lot of resources I read or listened to before I found Kelly Bruce's podcast. Mm -hmm. It was only Clint and Brian and eventually another friend, Meredith, that's ever listed. But phone records show that he was actually meeting. He met up that night with about a group of like five friends. So I found that really interesting. Just keep that in mind. Okay. So eventually Clint's friend, Meredith, does join them out. When Meredith joins them, she actually picks them up and drives Clint and Brian back to the ugly tuna saluna and the three of them this is where the story gets weird okay the three of them are seen on cctv surveillance footage coming up the escalator to the bar so from what i understand this is a larger building there's other maybe restaurants or shops in this building but you had to take an escalator up to this bar okay in the building an escalator goes up to this bar Mm mm-hmm and they're seen on CCTV footage at 1.15 getting to the bar. Okay. The ugly tuna saluna. So the camera that's facing the escalators, you come up the escalators and there's a camera facing the escalator. Kind of underneath that camera is like a lobby area, like really like a small little landing. Okay. And then you have to walk into doors to get to the bar. Gotcha. Also from that landing, there's also an elevator all right and there's also the staircase that will go to the back of the building okay and then is there an escalator then going down also right next exactly right next the escalator coming up right right they're right next to each other okay i'm trying to set it up for you because if you're not familiar with this case brian is seen coming into the ugly tuna saloon and i'll go into details but he's never seen leaving and he has never been found and just so that I'm clear, this camera is 
has a direct view to all the exits then? No, it only, the exits are all kind of underneath the camera. Oh. So you can only see the escalators. Okay. And that entrance and exit from that camera. Now there are other cameras and I'll cover that. Okay. But okay. just that's kind of the main camera that shows the people entering and exiting through the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Gotcha. Okay. So like I said, he's seen at 1.15 a.m. arriving with Clint and Meredith coming mm-hmm. up the escalator. Right. The next time we see Brian on that surveillance is just barely under the camera in that landing area. Mm-hmm. He is seen chatting with two girls, and this is at 1.55 a.m. Oh, okay. These girls are later revealed to be Brighton and Amber. Amber knew Clint from school. Both girls had just met Brian for the first time that night. Okay. Okay, so we see Brighton, Amber, and Brian at 1.55 standing outside of the bar in that landing area underneath the camera. And then you see him kind of walk back underneath the camera Presumably back into the bar. Okay. Okay. And that's it. Brian Schaefer is never seen on any camera in the bar or the surrounding camera footage ever again. So even cameras from other businesses and the garage camera or the street cameras. Nothing. is never seen again. Is there a back? You said that there were steps going to the back. Is there a camera in the back there, too? There is, and I'll get there. Okay. Police have poured over these footages from the surrounding cameras, the cameras at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. They've poured over these footages. And most, if not all, patrons of that bar are timestamped walking in and walking out. Everyone is accounted for except for Brian. So Clint is, too. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, there are other exits besides the escalators. That elevator was actually a fright elevator. It would go out, would drop down and go out the back of the building. But there was a lot of construction going on in that lower floor that the fright elevator would have opened to, like dirt floors. Oh. Like it wasn't totally impossible for somebody to get through the construction site. But if you'd been drinking... It would make it, just it a lot more difficult, right? Very difficult in the dark and like oh, you have all yeah. this. Yeah. And all the claims say that, yes, he was drunk, but he wasn't like tripping over himself drunk. Okay. Like Brighton was interviewed and, you know, she said he seemed tipsy. Like he seemed like he was feeling good, but he didn't mm-hmm. seem like mm-hmm. drunk. Stupid drunk. Right. Okay. And this but this construction site was really was pretty treacherous. So, I don't know. Now, there's another camera. And from what I understand, it shows the back loading docks of the building. And this camera, when it would sense motion, it would scan over to where the motion was. But this camera, for some reason, either it wasn't working or something didn't work properly with this camera. Regardless, Brian is not seen on any camera, though. Like, he's not even seen. So, even if... He did come out the back and that camera just didn't catch him. He wasn't caught on any of the other cameras on the street. 
you know what I'm saying? Please. And why would he go out the back? I mean, what, is there a reason that he would even do that? Yeah, like maybe he took the stairs down and went out the back, but like, why? Why? Now, he, his apartment Jeez. is walking distance from the Ugly Tuna Saluna, okay? Oh, okay. But he's still not seen on any Anything. cameras on the street. And he obviously never got home. And like, I need you to understand this. Columbo, Columbo. <laughs> Columbo couldn't solve this case. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio, where they're out partying, has more CCTV cameras than Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Toledo combined. Holy smokes. They're serious about this. No sign of him. A lot will theorize that Brian Schaefer went into the Ugly Tuna Saluna and never came out because he died in the club or in that construction site, either on purpose or there was an accident. You know, there's so many theories. The bar didn't want to be admit. penalized for a death or didn't want to admit it. So they buried him in the cement of the walls or jeez, oh, Louise, all of this stuff. Right. But this place has been searched by dogs, by I mean, it's one of the biggest missing people's case. Like it's been searched and missing person's case missing people's case Missi missing people's <laughs> oh boy and i actually just recently saw footage of they've like ugly tuna saloon is not there anymore and they gutted this place when that when they left so the walls were opened and so there was like nothing there theory that he was like in the walls and i mean you'd smell decomp first of all and it's a and bar that's I, people go there I guess all the time so yeah it was an active college bar and dogs searched in there mm. and they searched the construction site also I'm assuming yes yes this is so bizarre I know so let's back up to the timeline I gave you and add in some more information we got from witness accounts and interviews I feel like I need to take notes you should have told me this before <laughs> Okay, go ahead. So, Brian, Meredith, and Clint go up the escalator and are seen at 1.15. Mm -hmm. They go into the bar, and at some point, he is introduced to Brighton and Amber. Mm -hmm. Brighton was interviewed on that Brian Schaefer Dead or Alive podcast, and she claims, yes, he was drunk, but he was not falling over, like I stated. She said that he was flirty with her, and at one point was kind of kissing on her neck. Oh. He was hot. She liked him. They flirted. And at a time, he even planned on walking her back to her car, Amber's car, whoever was driving that night. And that was kind of the plan. So that's when we see him again on footage is he walked her and Amber out of the bar. So that's when we see him on, that on the landing five footage on. Yeah. And like I said, they're right underneath the camera. They're standing there talking. And then Brighton said that she went back into the bar to use the bathroom before they left. When she came out of the bathroom, she said goodbye to Brian. And then she and Amber leave. Okay. And this so he is didn't all... walk her to the car as the plan had said. Okay. No. And this is all on camera where you see Brighton and Amber leaving. There's even them on camera in the garage. You see them driving out of the garage. Okay. And... When they say goodbye, he goes back, presumably into the bar, because he goes back underneath the camera. Oh, my gosh. Okay. 
So this puts a time frame of him walking back under the camera into the bar around 1.58 because Amber and Brighton are seen leaving the garage at 2. All right. Now, according to Meredith, that friend that Clint Mm -hmm. and Brian arrived with, around 2, Clint and she realized they hadn't seen Brian in a while and they started to call him, getting no answer. The bar closed at 2.30 a.m. And last call was at 2.10. The pair call Brian, leave messages. They look for Brian. They get no word. They assume that he probably just left and walked a few blocks back to his apartment. And they left. The pair went to the house that Clint was house-sitting in Clintonville. So they just left. I mean, they think. Right. Yeah. But that's like, you know, that's like a 10-minute window. Probably less. That's less than 10 minutes. Where did he go? And it presumably he walked into the bar because he walked underneath the camera. So what the heck? I know. I know. Clint and Meredith both cooperated with police at the beginning. When it came time for polygraph, polygraph time, when it came time (laughs) for polygraph time, Clint refused and hired an attorney. And... From that point on, he used his attorney for any communication with police. Now, some find this suspicious. You and I have talked about it before. Don't take a polygraph. Like, especially in this case, the police are going to try to find, not saying the police did anything wrong here. No. But this is what I don't understand, is that the police made or requested that Clint and Meredith, the people he was out drinking with, take a polygraph. And that's what they said is, you were out with him. We want you to take a polygraph. Mm-hmm. But from the phone records, we learned that he was out with a group of friends. But you keep saying that, but the phone records can't prove that. The phone records only show that he called them. Well, no, according to the podcast I listened to, he was out with them at other bars. Okay. She interviewed these people. Okay. And apparently they were supposed to go back to Brian's apartment at the end of the night. That was kind of like... I'll touch base with you and we can all get together at my apartment later on. Well, then I wonder why Clinton Meredith didn't go there. They couldn't if find they, Brian. And maybe but if they, they were all supposed to get together and they thought that he had already walked home. I think it was just something that they maybe had discussed. He was house sitting, too. So oh. maybe they discussed it and they weren't going to go back to his apartment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just found that interesting and maybe because the CCTV footage only showed Meredith and Clint arriving at the Ugly Tuna Saluna with Brian. That's why those two would be questioned. I don't know. I just found that really interesting. Derek, the brother, he sees it as very suspicious that Clint isn't talking to police anymore and got an attorney and wouldn't do the polygraph. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't understand why he wouldn't help find his friend. So... Again, resources, they're all different, but it was either Saturday or Sunday. Alexis comes back from her family's house in Toledo. Poor thing. Yeah. And she comes back to Brian's apartment. Now, remember, this all happened Friday night and there's really nothing suspicious. His friends went home. So it's not like everybody knows that Brian is missing. And he didn't have a roommate. No. Okay. No, he did not. So there was nobody that would even know that he's that he didn't come home. Right. So she gets home either Saturday or Sunday. She gets back Mm -hmm. and she goes to Brian's apartment and she's been calling him all weekend and she hadn't talked to him since that 956 Mm -hmm. call. So she's at his apartment and he's not showing up. And again, it's either Saturday or Sunday that 
people start calling one another like have you talked to Brian do you know where Brian is and they start to get concerned and of course they're all concerned but it really wasn't until Alexis was left standing all alone at the airport for her flight to Miami that they realized that Brian must truly be missing oh no that poor girl this is when all the footage was looked at from the ugly tuna saluna um the ugly tuna saluna was searched and friends and acquaintances were questioned and interviewed nothing nothing was found his keys his wallet his cell phone nothing nothing was found of course psychics have gotten involved i guess randy was into the spiritualism at this point a psychic had even told randy that he was in the river and but they've even followed this like the river was even searched wow the lead singer from pearl jam his favorite band Mm -hmm. eddie vetter he gave a description and asked for help to find brian at their concert nearby the ohio state university oh wow randy got friends together and they hung flyers he and Derek already lost renee now brian alexis stayed at his apartment on occasion just waiting for him to come in the door she called his cell phone regularly it would go straight to voicemail, but oh. she could she could hear his voice. So that's what she wanted to do. Then one day in September, six months after he disappeared, she called his phone like normal, but the phone rang. Huh? It rang three times and then it went to voicemail. All the other times it had gone to voicemail straight, straight. away. Right. She called it again. It rang and rang and rang, then went to voicemail. Oh, this is so creepy. It did this for a few hours. She called the cops? Yes. Yes. I mean, she called Randy. She called people. And even Randy starts calling the cell phone. And it's ringing. The lead investigator, Sergeant John Hurst, he claimed to Kelly Bruce on her podcast that singular wireless, that was Brian's server, server Mm -hmm. service on his cell phone. Provider. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. That's server service provider they claimed that this was a glitch that the tower where the phone was pinging was overloaded so because of the time it took to get to another tower it gave the phone time to ring kelly does more research but hold on kelly did more research the podcaster did more research into this and i agree with her the phone did not just ring once that would be a glitch if like Alexis called, it rang, 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 went to voicemail. And then she called again, it rang, 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 went to voicemail. And then she called again, and it went straight to voicemail. Like, that would be a glitch. But this happened for hours that it would just ring. And another thing, it rang and it pinged on a tower. And from all of her research and from, I've understand, understood from my research, a phone will ping when there is data requested from the phone or a cell phone provider requests data to a phone, meaning my assumption, as well as many tech people that have been interviewed and like talked <laughs> yeah, to. you're in the tech world. Wow. So now I am. <laughs> they believe the phone had been turned on. Yeah, that makes total because sense. Data was being exchanged to a tower. Right, where before it went straight to voicemail because the phone was not on. So back then in 2006, GPS wasn't the best on phones. And I don't even think there was GPS on Brian's phone. 
which means it would just have to go from the data being requested from the phone, so a phone call coming into that phone, pinging on the closest tower. Okay. So was this Brian? Did he really just run away to start a new life? But it the tower was just the town over, so it was really close to where he lived. And this case was all over. So wouldn't people recognize him over yeah. there? Like this yeah. is six months later. There was a huge search. There were flyers everywhere. But was this Brian turning his phone on? Was it somebody that took Brian turning the phone on? Or was the phone just found and turned on? Right. Right. Many people believe that Brian chose to walk away. He was burdened with debt. He was depressed from the loss of his mother. Now, my question that I kept asking myself during all of this research, and I couldn't find the answer anywhere. So maybe if somebody's listening and they know more about this case, they can help me. But I'm curious how he did on his finals. Ah, good question. Because if he was planning on escaping and going to live this Margaritaville life, singing Jimmy Buffett songs. Did he just bomb them? Did he try? Like... Yeah. You know, that it just that keeps bothering me. I wonder how he did on his tests. And I think that would really kind of show you whether he walked away or not. Because if he just totally blew them off, oh, let's put D on every question or whatever. I don't know. And the walking away theory, too, is like, why that night? A lot of people look at the fact that he called his brother to get together. He got together with his closest friends. And I guess it was rare for him to call his brother to come out partying with him. So it's almost like he wanted to say goodbye to everybody, but not really say goodbye. You know what I mean? I don't know. And then he had that conversation with Alexis only a week before that saying, like, go find somebody else. Oh, oh, dear. But I just I just still don't understand how he wasn't seen on any footage on the street though like uh, gosh I don't know I mean if he knew where the okay I'm just playing devil's advocate here if he knew where the cameras were could he have avoided them and and you know the Sergeant Hurst he said that it's not totally impossible that he got out undetected by cameras I mean there is just this slight chance that that did happen you can't totally write that off. So if he or somebody but if you knew where yeah. the cameras were, you could potentially sure. avoid potentially. Them. Yeah, if that was kind of like your plan. Mm-hmm. But there is just no proof of that. So this kid, but he did his wallet. So he had no money. He, yeah, he had his wallet, say. but his cards weren't working, and oh. his dad actually closed his cards eventually so no money no money no phone no trans- he has his phone he's not turning it on no transportation because he's not driving correct correct only the clothes on his back basically so clint is not talking but his lawyer made an interesting comment his lawyer claimed that from discussions with police the police seemed to believe that brian was still alive oh again this is all from Clint's he said, lawyer. She said, okay. he said, she said stuff. But I find that interesting, especially because the lawyer can't make a statement like that without talking with his client, Clint, and getting the okay from Clint to say that. So 
did Clint know something? Did does Clint know that have a conversation with Brian that night or know that his friend was going to go somewhere or that would kind of explain why he didn't want to take the polygraph. You know, he didn't because wanna... he knew his friend was unhappy. And he so knew he... where kind of knew what had happened to his friend, not in a bad sense, but that, you know, and he exactly. didn't want he promised his friend he wouldn't tell. Yeah. But then you have all these people suffering like. Yeah, I know. How Derek can you do that? Dad. Yeah. yeah. I don't. So I don't know. So another weird thing was two months after his disappearance, somebody did break into Brian's apartment. But the only thing that was stolen was a TV and a DVD player and I think maybe some DVDs. Now, of course, people speculate that this was Brian. Yeah. But there were so many other things of more value that he could have taken or anyone could have taken. Why the TV, DVD player and DVDs? I found that really weird. Yeah. Police believe it was just somebody taking advantage of the fact that it was an abandoned apartment. Mm -hmm. Uh, In September 2008, there was a huge storm through central Ohio. Randy was cleaning debris from his yard when a gust of wind knocked down a tree and killed him. Oh, it was a total freak accident. So within a couple years, Derek has lost his mother his brother and now his father poor kid oh my gosh randy's obituary was put online and a comment made on the obituary got a lot of attention it said quote dad i love you love brian u.s virgin islands what (laughs) did he do it leave and live his life on the beach the IP address was chased by police right away and yeah. was traced. It was traced to a computer in the public library in Ohio. Oh, so oh. they claim it was a hoax. Yeah. Who would do that? I don't what? know. A sick person would do that. I don't know. It's so wrong. I have to mention and I'll glaze over this one because, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Have you heard, this is just a theory, have you heard of the smiley face killer? Mm -mm. Well, this is a theory based from two retired police officers. Uh, A smiley face killer even being a killer is a theory. Basically, there are a lot of deaths that look like drownings in the Midwest. And either they were just really drownings or this is a killer. They assume and they've said that it is a killer because where the bodies are found, there's always a smiley face graffiti at the scene or near where the body is found or like you've never heard about this guy no but that's a weird coincidence and who believes in coincidences you would jump on board with this i i mean think about it i'm not gonna get into this because maybe we'll cover the smiley face theory but like the killer theory down the road i mean a smiley face is one of the most common graffiti symbols like ever Okay. That is a known that is a known fact. <laughs> that is a known fact. And it's not unusual to find a dead body by a smiley face. Well, they're not right next to it. It could okay. be like a mile away and they're like, oh, oh this has oh, something to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, they okay. really reach with this this okay. theory. But all right. I don't know if it's actually a mile away, but it's like not like right next to the body. Okay. It's not like Yeah. But a lot of people, some people believe that this was part of that smiley face killer theory. But the body was never found. Yeah. So maybe it was part of the smiley face 
and he just was never found. But okay, the way bodies end up floating, they will come to shore eventually. And this mm-hmm. happened. You'd think that something would have come to shore eventually by now. Jeez. I don't know. Sometimes they sink and they get caught in debris or whatever and they don't come to the top. And unfortunately, that could be the case. Parts of the river were searched. Oh. Um, now, now Kelly mentioned something in another podcast. Uh, she has a few podcasts. Um, chapter 8, The Disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Uh, this podcast is titled Missing in Ohio. She covers missing peoples in Ohio. Missing persons. Oh, my gosh. Missing peoples in Ohio. So on this episode, chapter eight, the disappearance of Brian Schaefer, she claims that while digging into police records and pings on the cell phone, as well as pings on his email, she discovered something. Brian's Hotmail email account. Remember Hotmail? I remember (laughs) Hotmail. Yep. It pinged September 2017. Oh, Kelly called around to see if this was abnormal or not. It was to her understanding that especially with a Hotmail account, that if it goes unused for a certain amount of time, it closes. But it was still open. Was this another glitch? (laughs) Were police keeping it open to keep track of things? Oh, yeah. But if this was a glitch, there wouldn't be an IP address to where the email had been opened. She looked into this IP address and found that it was registered in Italy. Huh? And narrowed it down to a computer at a medical school in Italy. Oh my gosh. She contacted the school and asked if she could send flyers with the summary of Brian's disappearance case to help get more people's eyes on the case. Now, this episode last aired in March of 2019, and I haven't seen anything since. Mm. I found that really weird because it's just so coincidental. Holy smokes. Why was his email opened at a medical school in Italy? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So uh, I'll leave you with that mysterious wonder. Rabbit holes. No kidding. Tease, your mind just is going like 10,000 miles an hour right now. Well, could be this. Could be this. Well, maybe this. Maybe he did just walk away. It's like a bad joke. Brian Schaefer walks into a bar and is never seen a from again. Seen a from again? Oh, wow. Mom, (laughs) it's late and this drink is strong. (laughs) He, he never seen a from again. <laughs> He's a missing person. Peoples. He's missing peoples. Oh, my gosh. Pretty oh. intriguing. I know what I'm going to dream about tonight. Thank you very much. Dream about? Dream about. I'm going to dream wow. about this. <laughs> People are going to turn us off. They're just making up words now. <laughs> These women cannot speak. (laughs) It is late at night. (laughs) All right. All right. You ready? All right. All right. I'm ready. (laughs) All right. All right. My mind hurts just from thinking about that case. Okay. I'm going to make your mind hurt a little bit more, but not (laughs) as much. Oh, okay. And I'm going to dive right in. Living with spirits is one thing, 
but when they pin you down on the bed and toss your dog across the room, well, that's quite another. What the heck, Mom? That's how you start this? (laughs) Yep. And that's exactly what happened in the Bel Air house in the small town of Bel Air, Ohio. There's a Bel Air, Ohio? I wouldn't lie to you about this. (laughs) Well, I... But this is a story about a ghost in Bel Air. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Sorry. Go on. Wow. So to look at the five bedroom, one and a half bath house, one would never suspect the going ons inside. The house was built in 1904 and by its first owner, Jacob Hetherington, who happened to also own several coal mines, one that actually ran beneath the house itself. Uh-oh. Is this another Bender's situation? <laughs> no. Okay. okay. So there are so many things going on with this house to cause paranormal activity. I'm just going to go into some. First, the house sits on the bank of the Ohio River. And this is important because, as we've discussed before, the constant flow of water creates energy. Yes, yes. Second, the land the house sits on is the area where the French-Indian War took place in 1754 oh. to 1763. Oh my Many God. lives were lost, especially those of the Native Americans. Blood soaked the soil, which, of course, doesn't help this situation. Oh, my gosh. Third, the house also, according to some, sits on a ley line, And ley lines are the lines that connect two important things. Some believe that these lines carry powerful magnetic fields. Others claim that they hold psychic power. And others believe that the lines are associated with UFO sightings. As for the Bel Air house, it is believed that the lines provide a source of paranormal energy that goes in and out of the house. So it does, it sits on a ley line? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Fourth, going back to the coal mine that was built beneath the house, in 1893, there was an explosion in the mine and 42 men were killed. Did anything positive happen on this land? My (laughs) gosh. Now, according to some history books, Jacob Hetherington not only owned the mines in the area, but also worked them with his helper, Jack the Mule. (laughs) (laughs) guess that's a positive mom you could have easily made a moscow mule or i could have but i cannot stand those jack daniels or something you don't like jack okay (laughs) it's true all of those are true so from everything i've read uh jacob hetherington was a very very kind man like i said he worked here's some light to the story yes he worked in the mines with the miners, he um, he was very generous and helped to make the town prosperous. Um, he was just a very kind man, not greedy whatsoever. And I think I yeah, it it said that he also worked alongside Reverend Truman to free runaway slaves. Oh, so okay. I mean, he was really yeah. a very good-hearted man. But his best friend was, was a mule. Jack. The mule. Okay. I love this guy. Now there's pictures this. of this mule. All right. Oh my gosh. The mule is actually this. buried in the cemetery. Oh. Okay. I love that he named him Jack. I love animals that have 
human people names. names yes people names people's now, names now i don't know if you've heard of this rhyme but this rhyme actually is about jack the mule and i don't know because supposedly jack the mule helped jacob build the house okay Aww. so i don't know if you've heard the nursery rhyme this is the house jack built yeah so no, um, maybe <laughs> And it, it's about this mule. So it, it kind of goes like this. I'm going to just, this is the house that Jack built. This is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is yes. the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This continues for 11 verses. Okay. Oh, and it keeps, <laughs> it keeps, you know, adding and adding and adding. So anyway, supposedly that is about Jack the mule. <laughs> so let me add one more bit of intrigue as i said jacob worked with reverend truman to free the runaway slaves and the house sits very close to the sacred shawnee and iroquois burial caves and in these caves are buried the leaders chieftains shamans healers and witch doctors of the shawnees rituals ceremonies and magic were practiced in these caves Oh, my goodness. Like the river is on the back of the house and these caves are on the front or vice versa. So, you know, there's a lot going on. When Jacob Hetherington died, he'd left the house and the coal mines to Alex, his son. Not to Jack. Not to Jack. I think Jack probably already died. Otherwise, he probably would have. Maybe Jack would have done a better job because Alex was not much of a businessman. And to top that off, he started hearing and seeing things. Oh, maybe he really was. There's a lot going on in this place. Yeah. He started having epileptic seizures and claimed that, quote, demons were trying to kill him. Oh, my gosh. He was declared incompetent and locked up in the Athens Asale Asylum for the Insane. This is when his daughter, Lied, took over the company. But another tragedy happened when Lied... What mis- was her name? It's L-Y-D-E, but it's pronounced Lied. I have never heard that before. I had to look it up to see how you pronounce it. Because <laughs> I would think Lyd or Lydia or something, but it's yeah. Lied, according to Lied. pronounce this name. Um <laughs> Lied mysteriously died in the dining room of the Bel Air house. Her brother Edwin was devastated by her death, so much so that he became obsessed with the idea of contacting his sister with the aid of mediums. Occult experts from all over were brought in, most of course being frauds, but Edwin decided that he himself could hold seances and call out to his dead sister. Not exactly having been trained... Edwin had no idea how to close the portals that he had opened. And according to paranormal investigators, there are no less than 11 portals in the house. (gasps) Holy moly. Portals that refuse to close, no matter how many rites and rituals are performed. So the Bel Air house stood abandoned for many years. During that time, neighbors reported seeing people in the house and figures looking out of the windows. But the house was locked up. So maybe trespassers or local kids had broken into the house. Then in 2005, Kristen Lee and her family bought the house for $46,000. It wasn't long before the fun began and Kristen realized that it wasn't trespassers that the neighbors had seen. 
my gosh. One of the first events was when Kristen heard footsteps coming from the attic. She thought it was Hefe, the father of one of her sons, who was living with them at the time. But when, after some time, Hefe walked through the front door, Kristen was thrown for a loop. Okay, now, <laughs> I had to look. I was like, I put that in my notes, and then I thought, what exactly does that mean? Thrown for a loop. Where does that come from? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it. I, mean, I think I've even said it multiple times. Thrown for thrown a loop. For a loop. Okay, so I looked it up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> talk, about, talk about rabbit holes on this, black holes on this one. Yes. What does... So um, a loop... What does that mean? The loop on a roller coaster is like when the people hang upside down. When they're yes. going on that, you know, and it it's kind of disorienting. Yes. It also could come from knocked for a loop. That's another way of saying it. And that's a boxing term. You know, when somebody's hit really hard, it, they're made loopy. <laughs> so. so disoriented, basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. That's what it means. Thrown off. Okay. Thrown off. Interesting. Yeah. But maybe she thought this was just the normal creaking and settling of the old house, right? I mean, we've all heard sure. it. Sure, sure. A few weeks later, Kristen experienced something she could not explain away. She was sleeping on the couch when she was startled awake by a strange feeling. When she opened her eyes, she saw a tall, thin man with facial hair wearing a hat. The figure mm. was grayish and transparent. Then the man stood up, walked into the foyer, and disappeared. It was at that time that she noticed the room was so cold she could see her breath. Oh my gosh. After this, Kristen and her children experienced disembodied voices and footsteps. Objects moved on their own and shadow figures would be seen regularly. Everyone in the house was pretty much terrified to be in the house, especially alone, including the family dog, Bella. It was finally so bad that to keep her son safe, Kristen sent one to stay with her parents and the other to stay with his father. Oh my gosh. And See, this is why I want to own a haunted house, but I don't want to live in it. <laughs> yeah i can go and investigate what i want but then i can also just skedaddle yeah. and head home when i want to as well so the incentive to get the heck out of the house came after that harrowing experience i mentioned in the very beginning of the story kristen was pinned down to her bed at the same time as the dog was tossed i don't know if it was really against the bedroom wall but the dog was on the bed with her and was thrown off the bed oh my god there's a picture of this dog and her the dog's not a little shih tzu or something i mean the dog is probably a medium-sized dog well what kind of dog is it mom because this is how we could name our cocktail it wasn't a bulldog (laughs) i know i know was it like a terrier because it's gonna be the ohio it looked like a mix of some kind with maybe the ohio terrier it wasn't a terrier well shoot (laughs) we need a breed oh so after the family moved, Kristen tried renting the house, but none of the renters stayed in the house for very long. Um, I wonder I th- why. <laughs> I think the longest was a year. Oh, my God. And that was it. So what to do next? Kristen tried to get rid of the house by selling it to the town of Bel Air for $1. <laughs> Are you serious? Nobody wanted the property. Because it's so haunted yeah. or because it's just an old, it's an large al- property? It's an- well, it's not that big. It's not that big. Nobody wanted the responsibility of this place. It had a bad reputation by this time. Well, is it on like the historical registrar or something so they can't tear it down? Like I don't know, but it costs so money crazy. to it costs money to tear down a house too. 
Kristen at this time is also going through um, uh, forensic psychology. She's a forensic psychologist and she was going to school at the time also. So she didn't have money, you know, to do this. And she had already, the reason she moved is because where she was living before that had been flooded. There was flooding in the area. And so I think that happened twice to her house. So she just decided to move. She moved to this house. It was a good deal, you know, 46 or whatever thousand dollars. And so, you know, she snatched it up. Okay. So the next step, nobody wants to buy this house for $1. (laughs) So the next step, well, we know the house is haunted. So why not make it a destination for paranormal investigators and enthusiasts? Of course. Since then... Many investigative teams have been at the house, including TLC's Lockdown with Katrina Weedman and Nick Goff. Yeah. Yeah. I actually watched Nick, That's Nick from Ghost Adventures. I know. I know who he oh. is. <laughs> I follow him on Instagram even. <laughs> oh, boy, Mom. <laughs> the Instagram. Okay. So I actually watched a snippet of their 72 hours in the house on YouTube. And I swear... I have to get Discovery. <laughs> you still have not gotten Discovery no, Plus? I have to get Mother. it. Mother. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, the EVPs they got were incredible. And I like the way that they investigate those two. You know? Yeah. So no, I, I like their show. Yeah. So Nick was in the attic. All right. And the attic has a lot of activity. And Katrina was on a floor below, but right underneath him. Mm-hmm. Nick got this EVP that was talking about twins. And then it kept saying, go to the window, go to the window. There's a child that needs you at the window, go to the window. And so then at the same time, right underneath the attic where Katrina was, she was hearing EVPs. And all of a sudden, she heard something that Nick needed help. She just felt this like, Nick needs your help. And so she ran upstairs, ran upstairs, yelling his name. And it was just, he was right at the edge of the, I mean, he was right <gasps> at the window. And he was like, wow, I was in this fog. I, I didn't even know what, it, what I was doing. And he goes, I, I just kept hearing twin. There's something about a twin and a window. And then they were talking to Kristen about this. And Kristen got a little like, shaken up and she was like actually Edwin the guy who called that opened all the portals he mm-hmm. actually had a twin sister that died when she was two. Oh, I mean Nick had no idea about this not at all Ooh, but I just got shivers that's weird Kristen's done a lot of digging into the history of the family also then she this was right before she moved her sons out of the house. So she had one of her sons, his room was up there in the attic, and she found him on the ledge of that window. And he said that he had heard voices that told him that he could fly. You're kidding. Mm-mm. And it was one of those big windows. It's not like the yeah. you know, window came up to your chest or something. It was one of those big windows. And he was at the ledge of it, she said, when she, when she got to the room. That is absolutely mortifying it's just that's like something you see in a horror movie yeah exactly oh you don't have to be a famous paranormal investigator you can be amateurs like us and you can still rent the house to investigate just know that the following rules apply no ouija boards urns mirrors 
haunted objects to trigger the house or minor rites. No haunted objects to trigger the activity. Absolutely no rituals of any kind. No opening or closing portals. No exceptions. If we find out you do this, your name will be privately sent to the haunted locations owner underground circle. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is that a thing? I don't know. But oh, I want to be in that club so bad. Haunted locations owners underground circle. I want in the circle so bad. <laughs> Okay, now this one I didn't quite understand. Maybe you do. If you are an ordained clergy from the 501c3 nonprofit religious organization of any kind and can prove that you have been trained by professional clergy for at least three years, you may request to cross over spirits with the presence of Kristen Lee. We oh. frown on online clergy attempting to cross over spirits of the Bel Air House. No exceptions. Can you do that online? Can you? You can become ordained online. Yeah. But I don't know if becoming ordained online means you can go and cross over spirits. I mean, maybe. No, obviously that's okay. I thought it it meant that if you're a clergy, you can't use the, you can't get online and try to cross. You can't use the online. You can't cross the spirits (laughs) while you're online. This makes so much more sense. (laughs) I'm so happy to have cleared that up for you, Mother. (laughs) Oh, since her personal experiences in the Bel Air house, Kristen has taken upon herself to research the Hetherington family in order to protect their history. She's the author of 1699 Belmont Street, which is the address of the Bel Air house. And her new release, Hot Off the Press... Last year, August 2021, is her second book, Paranormal Confessions, True Stories of Hauntings, Possession, and Horror from the Bel Air House. Now, I did read a few pages from the book, which you can online, and it's really quite interesting. Kristen works as a forensic psychologist and is currently also a psychic medium and metaphysician. Anyway, a little bit of trivia, just to close. The Bel Air Toll Bridge, which is now closed, was filmed in the 1991 movie Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. There you go. It's a little different than the McIntyre Villa. This one seems a little darker. No, this one I feel is darker. Yeah, it's definitely darker. If you're telling people to fly out windows, yeah, I think it's very much more so. Ooh. 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 That was spooky. I saw we. <laughs> we don't like that. I know. I usually try to lighten it up. This one wasn't real light, but I thought it was interesting. It's very interesting, but just ch- chicken bumps. Chicken bumps. Yeppers. Will you be posting? We need to post pictures of this place. I want to see pictures of this place. It looks like an ordinary. You. It's so ordinary really? looking. It's so ordinary looking. It's yeah. so ordinary looking it's two stories obviously but it's really cool the floor of the kitchen is bricks i mean it's actual bricks well because the house is so old which was really cool looking that's really neat yeah 
I think the bricks were in the bathroom too, but I'm not sure about that. But I saw the bricks in the kitchen. It was like, I mean, I had to make the picture bigger so I could see. I was like, oh, that is so cool. That's really cool. I love exposed brick. Yep. That's so neat. Another... I wonder if that was original. I'm sure, I'm sure it was. Wow. Because at the time, it was a pretty spiffy, I mean, you know, high-end. spiffy place. Yeah, it was a spiffy, spiffy place. It was a high-end place. Oh. Now you can't even buy it for a dollar. all right well i need to go to bed with all these great thoughts in my head Ugh. sorry tired but i won't be able to sleep now yeah you will we will post (laughs) you're gonna (laughs) sleep just fine (laughs) maybe until i lay down and then i'm like bing okay (laughs) where's brian bing I almost asked who's Brian. (laughs) I'm still sitting here thinking about Jack. (laughs) Moving on. You can see all these lovely photos on our website as well as the resources. Killer Hangover Podcast at Gmail. No. KillerHangoverPodcast.com. You can email us at KillerHangoverPodcast at gmail.com. Send us your favorite cocktail because apparently wherever you're from, you send us your favorite cocktail. Mom's going <laughs> to. If you give me reason, I'll make it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Where email mom <laughs> and just say, I'm from Delaware and I love tequila. And she'll <laughs> I'll come up with the drink for you. <laughs> Thank you for our patrons. Yes, thank you, patrons, for buying us this random drink. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we will be covering true crime and paranormal stories from the state of Washington. Yes, we will. I've got the true crime. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for all of your support. Thank you so much for sharing us with all of your friends and family. And donkeys. <laughs> oh, wait. He was a mule. Is that the same thing? No, I don't think so. You got a okay, donkey. Well, you got a mule. You got a jackass. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing us with all your jackasses out there. I hope you all have a <laughs> wonderful week. <laughs> oh, God. Cheers, mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>